0: Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks and I'm Jen oneill Smith and this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. <laughs>
1: so welcome to episode 85. How you doing over there? I'm doing great, Jen. <laughs> good.
0: How are you doing good. over there? I'm good. It's uh almost one o'clock in the afternoon and I have uh-huh. on I do have on pants. Oh, congratulations. I've showered. I've put on makeup actually and dried my hair, but I'm still in a robe because I just can't take that last step. <laughs> <laughs> uh let me ask you something. Why did you shower? <laughs> Because what? it was, it was like, I hadn't washed my hair in four days and it was time.
1: Yeah, was I'm, time. I'm coming in on that. I'm coming yeah. in on that. I was <laughs> like, like, itching my side and ben was like, what's going on? I was like, I think it might be dirt. I think it might just be like dried sweat that is making me itch. I think it's time. I think it's yeah. time to shower. It was time. Uh, <laughs> and then but, I was
0: just like so comfortable sitting after I dried my hair that I was like, I'll put on makeup while I'm sitting. Oh, nice. And then I put on pants, but like uh-huh. I just don't have the energy to take this comfy robe off and like put a shirt on.
1: Then why? <laughs> why would you? I don't know. And, like, can't this be a new trend? <laughs> robe <you>? on the,
0: <laughs> sleepy on the top, <laughs> business on the bottom. I'm flipping the part the people dressy from the waist up and then, you know, yeah, yoga pants. I'm flipping it.
1: You're going to be on all your Zoom meetings. I got heels just, on. Just your pants.
0: You're going to be like, Jen, why are you showing us your crotch? Be like, it's just it's the only
1: part that's dressed. <laughs> yeah.
0: The rest of me just don't want to. <laughs> oh that's amazing all right should we let's get into quickies man let's do it all right i'm gonna start this week and i'm kind of nervous that you have the same one because this is a kind of the kind of quickie that i like to call a sally special
1: (laughs) oh i just can't wait to find
0: out who was having sex where Uh, You will. This is an article for myfox8.com, and it was written by um, Nextstar MediaWire, actually.
1: Oh, okay. I love their work.
0: Yes. So this just happened a couple of days ago, actually, um, in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I love it. Myrtle Beach. So a South Carolina couple has been accused of having sex on the Myrtle Beach Skywheel Ride. Classy. That's like the classiest place you could have sex. (laughs) And also in a community pool. So the couple's names are Eric Harmon and Lori Harmon of Surfside Beach. I guess they're married. Wow. Uh, Okay. Well, now I'm impressed. Yeah. (laughs) They face multiple charges after police say that they saw videos of them having sex in public on a pornography site. So they would have gotten away with it, too, (laughs) if it wasn't for those pervy cops. So I guess, like, one of them was watching the porn, and they're like, hey, that's a public place. (laughs) And they, in one video, they were having sex inside a gondola encased with glass, and in view of the public on the 187-foot Myrtle Beach Ferris wheel uh-huh then in another video the couple was seen having sex in a community pool in the surfside beach section of horry county uh horry you know spelled h-o-r-r-y <laughs> horry county and Lori, um Lori Harmon, is seen exposing herself while sitting on top of a vending machine along with other lewd acts the police said How'd she so, get up there <laughs> yeah That's
1: long the, long to know.
0: i don't so according to the the officer the actions were recorded by both the defendant and the co-defendant uploaded to the adult website so lori faces three counts of indecent exposure two counts of participation in a preparation of obscene material and malicious injury to personal property. Uh, And she was released from the J. Rubin Long Detention Center on an $18,000 bond. Hmm. And her husband was charged with two counts of indecent exposure and one charge of participation in preparation of obscene material. And he was released from the J. Rubin Long Detention Center on a $14,000 bond. I feel like... Yeah, I don't think you should have sex in public because there's children around. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, how'd the cop know? You right. If form? nobody com, if nobody made or- a
1: complaint, yeah. if it didn't, if nobody complained in the moment, then it's like a tree following in the woods. Like if a yeah. couple bones on a Ferris wheel, but nobody sees it, did it even happen? Was that That's in public? What I is that in public? Exactly, because if it's on the internet, that's not that's it's on a porn site.
0: I feel like this. Not like they this, posted it on Facebook. Whoever found them or reported them or the police officer that was jerking off and decided to press charges, <laughs> I feel like they should have just went about their business, shut their laptop, and just went on with their day. That's how mm-hmm. I feel about it. I agree. Um, yeah. So. I don't know. Usually we have more to say on people that have sex in public, but I kind of feel like kind of feel it. Kind if it was really was... in public, we would have heard about this sooner, right? We would have heard about it sooner. There would have been like, ah, oh, my poor
1: kid's eyes. You know, like it just, yeah. it's like nobody was hurt. Nobody was hurt. Hey, and people are just trying to make money right now. And they should be disinfecting those things in between everybody anyway now with COVID.
0: So exactly. You know. Why is anybody on a Ferris wheel right now? That's what everybody here Who's wants to know. the real criminal? <laughs> is it them? Or
1: is it the gondola operator? Just saying. Is it the 16-year-old operating the gondola? <laughs> that's what yeah. we want to know. That's what we want to know. <laughs> so that's... My
0: quickie for this week.
1: I can't believe I didn't do that one.
0: That's I can't amazing. believe you didn't either. You, miss, you just must not have googled "couple gets arrested for" this week.
1: <laughs> well, you know because I think I did one of those last week, and I thought to myself, "Remember how Jen did that really great listicle, and we had so much fun with it?". I thought I'm gonna find myself a good listicle. Yeah, so, Yeah. so I found one thanks to our good friends at BuzzFeed. It was an article by Asia McLean, and it's titled, 18 wedding guests shared the cringeworthy moment they knew a marriage wasn't going to last, and OMG. That's the whole, uh. that's the whole headline.
0: You pull that accent off very well. Thank you. It's an accent and vernacular. You pull off that vernacular very well. Thank you. Okay. Uh, uh, m j <laughs>
1: there's it's like O dot 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 m dot 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 g oh, okay Let's so share. i'm just gonna share of course some top ones but you can go read them all all 18 over at buzzfeed yes. uh okay so this is from lee 212 they say i went to a wedding as a plus one with my gay male friend Well, when the pastor asked if anyone had a reason why the couple shouldn't be married, my friend leaned over and whispered to me, does doing the groom in the coat closet earlier count? You could have hit my jaw, hit the floor.
0: Do you think that's true? I
1: feel like that's too cutesy to be true. Like too convenient, but maybe. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Luna Lee two one two. Okay, <laughs> this from this one's from Patty Godbold on Face from Facebook. She said, "At a wedding I attended, the bride showed up an hour late, hammered, and hop danced her way down the aisle. Which, my <laughs> God,
0: you love to be at that wedding?" She said then the unity candle. Not if she was an hour late. That shit pisses me off. Nobody wants to sit in that room for like. An hour plus waiting for the wedding to start. That's true. That's true. But I, mean, I would dance? like to see the hop dance, but I said,
1: she said, then the unity candle... the on time, on time, on time, yeah. hop dance, on time. You're right. Um, the unity candle accidentally blew out during the ceremony and she giggled and yelled to the back of the room. That's not a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like this, this bride sounds like a blast. I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry for
1: her wedding, but okay. so this is by another one by Eve B4447B30D2. You know her?
0: (laughs) She sounds familiar.
1: Yeah, said, I knew it wasn't going to last when after the groom said I do, he asked the bride if she was going to stop breaking his balls now.
0: Oh my god. That's so oh, annoying. I that's bet he's so just annoying. like showing off for his friends. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh I god. just I'm yeah. like I can 100% picture that guy. Yeah.
0: Very. Okay.
1: Annoying. So this is from nobody, according to my notes. I was at a wedding in which the bride got so sloshed that she fell down a few stairs, laughed until she started sobbing uncontrollably, then threw up on her dress. They lasted maybe two or three years before her husband found her in bed with her married coworker. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I went to a wedding where the mother of the groom said in her speech, what can I say about Amy? I got nothing.
0: <gasps> the mother of the bride? <laughs> the mother of the groom. Oh, the mother of the groom. Oh. oh Ay,
1: yeah, yeah. That's painful. That's uh, painful also. Yeah. I wish I was there. Um, yeah. Okay. So this is my last one. This okay. is – I was at a former friend's wedding when the bride – who had been a complete breadzilla about every little detail, started yelling at a server about something minor. while her brand new husband turned to her and said, why are you being such a bitch? And she responded by slapping him in the face (gasps) on their wedding day.
0: He oh, was my the, God. I know.
1: He was in the army and deployed a few months later, and he was convinced that she was going to cheat on him. So he asked her to get his name tattooed right above her vagina. Oh, my God. <laughs> in the end, they were married for a few years and had a kid before she found out that he had been cheating on her since they started dating.
0: Whoa. Yeah. Yeah oh everybody sucks like in that mess. story yeah yeah
1: have i told you how i think i may have ta- talked about this on the podcast before but that there was this there were these girls in high school who i, I would say quote unquote bullied me but they would like just fucking bitches and i'll kill them <laughs> thank you i mean I, here's the thing is that i didn't know about it because they had like a a a code name for me and they would like talk about me right
0: now in front of me (laughs) it's okay they were jealous they were jealous jealous. oh my god okay but okay so this the one
1: woman one girl her name was angela and she um so anyway so i didn't know about it in this until after we graduated and somebody told me and i was like oh really huh Okay, like I really was like I don't I had I was like I barely knew those girls, anyway. So, but then like a couple years after we graduated, a bunch of my friends from high school, guy friends, went to a strip club and they saw her there, and they said that she had a tattoo above her vagina that said "Welcome to the jungle." She was a she was a stripper there <laughs> that said "Welcome oh my to the jungle," God.
0: Welcome <laughs> and to I the was jungle. like. I, win. I win. Angela, I'll fucking kill you. Just come near us. Come over here. Rude. Rude. <laughs> I remember my my sister uh, was having a hard time. This is like she's a full on adult. She's a lawyer. And yeah. she was having a hard time when she first started at, at a new firm and it, like very first, like, you know, from law school to her job. And she was having a hard time just meeting other girl or women mm-hmm. you know and so not that anybody was being mean just like having a hard time meeting women and my mom's response was like you know they're all just probably very jealous of you because you were so beautiful <laughs> <laughs> that's the problem nobody wants to talk to you because you're so beautiful <laughs> and that's what I think happened to you in high school I think oh you were yeah so, you're so beautiful nobody, nobody so beautiful. even wanted to talk to you
1: That Angela Hopman and Sherri-Ann Hollett were just such bitches. Such bitches.
0: They couldn't stand it. Oh, God. (laughs) Hey, Sally. Yes, Jen. Are you ready for this week's true crime story?
1: I am ready. Let's hear it. Good.
0: So this story comes from a few sources. One was a story written by Brian Levitas. Mm -hmm. murderpedia of course and then also an article first i'm not an article (laughs) um an episode (laughs) of (laughs) scorned love kills yes classic so married couple fred and jennifer trayers first met in february of 1991 jennifer was working as a travel agent at the university of notre dame in south Bend, indiana when she met fred who was from keybody massachusetts he was very out outdoorsy guy he was also a student at Notre Dame and he came into her office looking to book a trip to Glacier Fred was smitten with Jennifer and he started making excuses just to go to her office you know just like to talk to her, and she said apparently she thought that he was a geek at first, but um, <laughs> after a while, Jennifer told him, "If you stop coming around to my work, I'll go out on a date with you." So um, <laughs> they went out. And that's how you get the girls. So um, I get them. Just be persistent, guys. <laughs> be a pain in the ass. So they, um, obviously, we don't mean that to be true. We mean oh no, yeah, no, that was respect to women's wishes. Um, Yeah. So they soon became a couple and Fred joined the military. Um, He, well, he was in the military before he started dating Jennifer. He, had began Navy flight school in Pensacola, Florida. When he learned that he was going to have to be stationed in San Diego, they ended up deciding to get married before he moved. So in December of 1992, they ended up meeting in Denver, Colorado, and they eloped. And then in November of 1993, they ended up having a renewal of their vows, if you will, with all of their family and friends. Okay. So Jennifer was really happy to be the military wife, which, you know, usually entails having to move around constantly. So she would always have to transfer her job or place of employment and go wherever he went. But she really didn't mind. She was, you know, madly in love with her husband and she loved to travel and she just wanted to be anywhere that he was. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, they wanted to have a family but they always just kept telling themselves once we're more settled, you know? Right. So he was already a Naval pilot. So he had already gone to school for that. And then he just des- decided he wanted to switch gears entirely. And he decided he wanted to go to medical school in Florida. Okay. So they went to Florida in uh, Fort Lauderdale actually. And that's where they, which the scorned calls Fort Lauderdale, the Venice of the America of America. Have you heard that before? No. Why would they call it that? I don't know. It's Are like, there? It isn't. There's like other towns called Venice, right? <laughs> I
1: mean, I would call that one part of, of Las Vegas. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
0: so, no disrespect for Florida Lauderdale. Okay, so um, <laughs> she was working at a timeshare company, and she really didn't like her job. She hated it, but she did it to support him while he was. In going to school because he was in school full-time and she was working full-time and so um, at this point in their marriage they had been together about nine years they weren't spending that much time together because she was working full-time he was in school full-time when he was in school he ended up befriending a classmate a woman named Danielle Merkitt who mm-hmm. she was a yeah. She was a psychologist who did research with Navy pilots and she was very pretty and smart and very outgoing. They had a lot in common, obviously, because they're both in medical school and they both have to do with the military, you know? Yeah. But Danielle at first was a friend, became a friend to both Fred and Jennifer. So when she first started hanging out with Fred, you know, of course it, it it's the right thing to do is to befriend the wife, you know? And, and, right. But then After a while, they just started hanging out a lot together alone too much Mm -hmm. yeah and um so they were hanging out all the time and he was acting very distant toward jennifer and then they ended up taking a week-long hiking trip together to wyoming just the two of them wyoming is very far away from florida yeah just the two of them and jennifer was like yeah something doesn't feel right like oh (laughs) (laughs) i would not be cool with that dude I would not. I,
1: yeah, I, you know, I. It's hard for. It's hard to. Because you're friends with a lot it. of guys. I yes. get it. I know. Like, you know. I mean, I've spent lots of times with lo- lots of time on the road. alone on the road with a lot yeah. of my guy friends. But just I've but never gone like, on vacation.
0: Yeah, because that's a <laughs> choice. Like you're choosing. Like I want to go away alone with this person for a week. Like that's a choice you're making, but sometimes for work and for comedy and stuff, you don't have a choice. It's just like, I'm booked with this person. We're going to be in the same state, but you don't like- I don't know. For me, I've never shared a hotel with just one dude. I've always it's always either been ten people in one room. Right. <laughs> or it's been like, or I book something by my alone or I book something with another woman. You know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've done but. that. I've I've shared a hotel, I've shared condos with guys. I have done that quite a bit just as a necessity as a comedian. That's kind of just how it goes if you want right. to be on the road.
0: Yeah. Um
1: But, yeah, well, I mean, maybe just also because we know where this story is going.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, it's like, ooh, just – Well, this story goes a lot of places. Yeah. I
1: would have a hard time Um, if if Ben told me he wanted to take a week-long vacation with a woman.
0: Yeah. That would not – I wouldn't feel okay with that. So, of course, she starts to question, like, whether or not they're having an affair – And she Mm -hmm. was so torn up about it because she was madly in love with Fred, with her husband. He was our entire world. Like, you know, she followed him everywhere, was putting him through medical school. So she's very distraught. And so she starts to open up to a coworker whose name was Orville Webb about her suspicions about him having an affair. Uh Yeah. And so he was... Also married, so you know, she thought that he could relate because he was married, but they started getting lunch together and she would mm-hmm. confide in him about all of her marital problems. And then after a while, the lunches turned into more, and then they ended up having um, a passionate kiss, uh huh. And then that turned into more, and they ended up sharing uh, sex at a hotel room, <laughs> sharing sex. <laughs> <laughs> And so basically, <laughs> they ended up they ended up having a full on affair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but um, in early two thousand three, Fred ends up getting a phone call. From a random, well, I guess it's not a random person. It's Orville's wife. She finds out about the affair and she tells Fred all about the affair that Orville and Jennifer are having. Yeah. But when Fred ends up confronting Jennifer, you know, she expected him to blow up at her or be mad, but he just started crying because he blamed himself. He said it was his fault for not paying enough attention to her, you know, and that he was spending too much. He's He never admitted to having an affair with Uh danielle but he admitted that he was spending too much time with her yeah and and so so they both break down and they cry and they apologize to each other and they resolve to work on their marriages so they cut off their relationships with orville and danielle and they decide that they're going to move to san diego to get a fresh start because um okay fred had just Yes. Yes. So Fred had just finished medical school. So he's back on having a salary. So they were able to buy like a nice home in Oceanside, San Diego in 2005. And uh, Jennifer got a job at Pacific Western Bank, and she was very happy there. And then the couple renewed their... wedding vows in 2007 to mark their 15th anniversary. So things were going really well for them. So Fred is a naval doctor at this point and everything was going really well. And then about a year later, after their 15th anniversary, Fred gets an assignment working on a floating humanitarian hospital called the USS Mercy. Okay. Um, he had to fly to Australia and then it ended up going to a bunch of countries around the South Pacific. So very far away. Yeah very far. So while he is on the ship fred ends up befriending mm-hmm. another beautiful young doctor mm-hmm. uh, also by the name of Danielle but not the same Danielle no a different Danielle her name was Danielle Robbins okay so uh Danielle was a former marine she was 10 years younger than him um, she was 30 he was 40 you know they had a ton in common obviously both in the military both being a doctor you know they were very drawn to each other but Uh um, (laughs) it was
1: an intellectual bond yeah (laughs) sounds
0: like (laughs) yeah so he was a higher ranking officer than her so um their relationship was a huge no-no in the military and then also because he was married um committing (laughs) adultery in the military is considered a crime yeah it's like a super double no-no but i think that all the drama Made, and all the risk of it all made them want to be together even more. So a few weeks after they met in August 2010, the ship docked in Guam. They had a few days to relax. It was kind of like free days for them. Yeah. And so they ended up going to a bar and they had some drinks. And then on the way back to the boat, they ended up kissing. So then- in Did so- they share sex? <laughs> and it says they just shared a, a kiss. Mm -hmm. so in September of 2010 when Fred's ship ends up coming back to the US Fred goes back to his life in San Diego and Danielle ends up getting a new job at a naval hospital coincidentally also in San Diego oh man Mm -hmm. and then so Fred and Danielle stay in communication and they emailed and texted and called each other constantly and Jennifer was like Something's not right. <laughs> so uh, by the fall of 2010, a month after Danielle moves to San Diego, Fred and Danielle, they meet up and then they surely start having – they share a sex. They share they a, a sex. share okay. a sexual affair. <laughs> so um, because now they're not on a naval ship and they don't have everybody watching them, you know, they could go be alone and have sex. But they – They told each other that they loved each other, that they were like in this and that they wanted to, and that they were planning their future together. Danielle was just like absolutely head over heels in love with Fred. And one day she ended up email. So they would email each other constantly. And so she sends Fred a long letter one day and um, only it's not addressed to Fred. Like she sends it to Fred's email address, but it's addressed to dear Mrs. Wonderful and um yeah it was a letter that of her talking to Jennifer she didn't intend for him to send it to Jennifer but it was yeah. just like she was like a le- like getting it off her chest and saying telling Jennifer that she doesn't know how lucky she is that if you don't love him you need to let him go because he's a good one and you shouldn't hoard a good one if you're if you don't really love them blah 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 and then she signed it sincerely Little Miss Grass is Not Greener on my side. It's weird. And so anyway, so would, you'd think that Fred would be like, you're crazy and turn him off a little bit. But he was he loved it. He like loved how in love she was with him, you right.
1: know, but he it's does
0: addicting it. attention is addicting for people. It is. Just ask us. We're comedians. <laughs> <laughs> I miss it so much. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Um, he does know though, that like, he worries that if Jennifer sees this email, like shit's going to hit the fan. Yeah. So he knows that she can never see this, but what he doesn't know is that Jennifer has already seen it
1: because
0: because she has installed spyware software on his computer and she had been reading all of their correspondence, texts and emails and everything. And of course she was devastated. Right but she she wouldn't she would like ask Fred if he was cheating you know just are you but she wouldn't say anything specific like are you having an affair with this woman named Danielle you know she would just be like you're not cheating are you and then he would deny it so then she just let it go and like wouldn't press it but internally she was falling apart yeah Uh, apparently she lost a lot of weight wasn't eating wasn't sleeping just a mess I mean that would kill anybody you know just to know like read all of these emails and know that it's that your partner is doing this but they come and then also lying to your face yeah so the affair went on for a while and danielle started to get impatient because she was waiting for him to leave jennifer but for some reason fred kept putting off leaving jennifer so he was playing both sides right Um, so because danielle was getting impatient in order to buy himself some time he ended up telling Danielle that the reason that he can't leave Jennifer right now was because Jennifer was pregnant and that he needed more time yeah and it was a lie she was not right. pregnant, and that's just like such a fucked up thing to do to both of the women obviously right. you know and could you imagine being Jennifer and reading that correspondence and being like what? You told her I was fucking pregnant? You right. know what I mean? Uh, on December 6, 2010, around 6.30 a.m., one of Fred's coworkers ends up calling the San Diego Police Department because Fred hadn't shown up to work in two days, which was very unlike him. He was yeah. known for like coming in early and staying late. And so when the police go to their home to do a wellness check, they end up looking in the windows. And when- they look inside, they see both Fred and Jennifer lying on their bedroom floor covered in blood. Oh, I know. So they Jen? broke. It. I know. I mean, what it? it's a true crime story. I know, but it's sad. Well, listen. I mean, it's still sad. It's still sad. <laughs> okay. Okay. No okay. matter what, this is a sad story. Okay. Okay. So they broke into the house, and it looked like both Fred and Jennifer had been killed, but then they see that Jennifer is actually still breathing. Okay. Yeah, so they call an ambulance and they rush her to the hospital. She was covered in blood and have uh, had several cuts on her arms and her chest. And she was bleeding out and losing consciousness. And But they were able to ask her, like, was there a fight? You know, and she nodded yes. And then they asked her with who and she gestured towards Fred. But Fred was deceased. So he was killed by what looked like two stab wounds to the chest and uh-huh. eight stab wounds to the back. So when the police looked over the crime scene, they found two knives. One was a kitchen knife, and the other was this, like, military knife. There were no signs of forced entry or signs that anybody else was there, but they did find a manila envelope with all of Fred and Danielle's texts and emails printed out. So now they see, like, here's... Danielle, you know, so who's this third person? Right. Um, And there, you know, could be many scenarios. It could have been, you know, Jennifer killed Fred because she was, Angry, you know. Fred could have been trying to kill Jennifer, or Danielle could have killed the both, tried to kill the both of them. You know, right? So the police tracked down Danielle, and she admits that they had an affair, but she had an alibi. She was actually on the other side of the country, apparently at a parade with friends when he was killed. But she did hand over an email to him, and this email was an email that was sent from Jennifer to Danielle right before the murder. And the email was titled Mr. Wonderful. And it read, Dear Little Miss Grass is not greener on my side. And then it went into like eight pages of rambling where she um, talks about the good and bad qualities of her husband. She talks about their 18 year marriage. She tells Danielle, that their marriage was strong before they came into the picture. She said, We were getting along and trying hard to make it work. Then you come along, and all of a sudden he's been miserable in the relationship for years and has wanted to end it a long time ago. Right. Um, She then talks about all of their Jennifer and Fred were having sex during their affair, you know, so she wanted her to know, like, of all the times that she was with her husband. And then she said, I will have the joy of knowing I got to spend quality time with him. I got to travel with him. I got to sleep with him. I got to hear him say, I love you softly in my ear while he's hugging me. I was the last person he was with.
1: Oh, yeah. And then she,
0: yeah. And then she, the last part of the email was, you should feel guilty now. You just ruined the marriage of a wonderful man, the career of a, a wonderful man, the future of a wonderful man. Sincerely, Mrs. Wonderful. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So when the police go to question Jennifer, and she was actually in a medically induced coma in the hospital. But then when, when they bring her out of the coma, her very first words were, do not resuscitate. Like she Okay. Didn't, she didn't want to live. Oh, so she and wanted so, to die too? Yeah. And so- later when she gets more strength and is able to talk more to the police she told them her side of the story she said that she didn't sleep at all that friday night because her husband worked the overnight shift at Balboa Medical Center and he got home at around 7:15 a.m. that morning and Jennifer tried to speak with him about the relationship and about their future. She was like desperate to talk to him, but he told her, he brushed her off and said that he was too tired and that he wanted to go to sleep before having such a serious talk. Yeah. So he went and took a shower and then that's when she noticed that Fred left his Gmail account up on the computer. And that at that point is when Jennifer sent that email to Danielle. And then now that she knew that she had already sent this email to Danielle, she knew that it was just going to be moments before Fred found out about it. She was like, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. And he wouldn't. He kept saying, no, so she kind of snapped and she went and grabbed a butcher knife and got on the bed and she was trying so hard to make him listen to her that she was like what if i just slit my wrist what if i just killed myself and she was hoping that he was going to try to protect her and take the knife away or whatever but appa- according to her she said that he started laughing and that he actually said you know what i have a better knife and then he went and got the K-bar knife, which was that military knife, out of his yeah. stand and gave it to her and was like telling her, do it, kill yourself. And so because she said that she was surprised and enraged because she started poking her knife, it, uh, the knife in her chest to get a reaction out of her husband. But the fact that he didn't care and wanted her to do it, she said that she blacked out. Um, okay. So then she said that she blacked out, but she she did say that she was hot and angry a way that she had never felt before. And when she said that when Fred reached over to the nightstand, Jennifer uh, assumed that he was going to get the butcher knife that was sitting there. So when she did that, she snapped, and she said that she, snapped him, she stabbed him in the back of the neck. <gasps> yeah. So yeah. she said that she doesn't remember anything else because she blacked out, but all in all, she stabbed him 11 times. So... While in the hospital bed, they arraigned her, and she was charged with the murder of her husband, and she was held on a $2 million bail. Yeah. So- <laughs> I wish then, you could see my face. It's just like, oh, oh. I know. <laughs> I know. So on January twenty third, 2012, in downtown San Diego, the murder trial of Jennifer Tri- Trayers began the prosecution made the case that this was premeditated and calculated due to the email that she had sent and the fact that yeah. all of her wounds were not nearly as severe as his were and also he was stabbed in the back multiple times and she only had like smaller cuts to the front of her body right um and then the defense claimed that it was murder in heat of the path, um in heat of passion Yeah. And that she was suicidal and she hoped that her husband would save her. And not when he not only didn't help her, but told her to do it, that she just completely snapped. And on the stand, Jennifer said, I thought I was going to kill myself and that he was going to be so upset that he would never want to be with anyone else. So on- i know so on february 8th 2012 after three days of deliberation the jury returned a verdict and they found jennifer guilty on of second degree murder for the killing of her husband fred she didn't show any emotion when they read the verdict but according to her lawyer she feels absolutely horrible about what happened to her husband because she still loves him to this day and she was sentenced and will spend no less than 16 years. And she is actually appealing the conviction. Really? And so, yeah. But it's it's just tragic all around, you know, yeah. for everyone. Of course, like he was a cheater, but he didn't deserve to die. But right. I do feel for her, I feel like she was just, you know, gaslit and taken advantage of and just beaten down. I mean, she also had an affair. I mean, right. it's just, it's not, it's just, just get a divorce.
1: Yeah. It, that's what strikes me is that, you know, you don't have kids. Like it just is like, I, I know it. things are not that, that, and even if you have kids, like still get a divorce, it's okay. Kids are fine. Yeah. But I just, you know, it's like, I, uh, it's, it's hard to understand why, why you wouldn't. But I also, I, you know, it's. It's a, that's sad. That's sad, it Jen.
0: Is. I'm sorry. I, it's true crime. It's sad. Yeah, it's sad.
1: Sorry, guys. That's sorry. what you signed up for. <laughs> what are you guys thinking? <laughs> we blame you. We blame you. Um, what you want? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a love story? Sure. I'm super excited about this one. Okay. I got my information from interviews on NPR's All Things Considered and StoryCorps. From The Atlantic by Edward Isaac DeVore. From three Washington Post articles by Donna Owens, Aaron Haynes, and Jillian Brockwell. CNN article by Haley Bird. And a Post and Courier article by Jamie Lovegrove. Nice. Okay. So I think – like you, I'm uh, I'm still riding pretty high on the inauguration. This is yeah. Friday. We're recording. The inauguration was Wednesday. And since I already told the story of now president and Dr. Joe Biden two weeks ago, this week I am going to tell the story of the couple who many credit with Biden getting the Democratic nomination in the first place. So today, I'm going to do the love story of Representative James Clyburn and his late wife, Dr. Emily England Clyburn. Nice. Okay. So James Clyburns was 12 years old when he became the president of the local NAACP youth chapter in his hometown of Sumter, South Carolina. Sumter was actually... The town over from Summerton, which was the court case that became Brown versus Board of Education. So in 1957, he enrolled in. South Carolina State College, which is a historically Black college in Orangeburg, South Carolina. There he helped build the local chapter of the Congress of Racial Equality, which was an interracial group that organized the Freedom Fighters. So he was very involved in the Civil Rights Movement. And in February of 1960, he and some other leaders at his college organized one of the first sit-ins in South Carolina. This was right after the very first one in North Carolina, And so at this one in February of 1960, there were more than 2,000 participants. They were mostly college students, including this petite, pretty student named Emily England, who was from Monk's Corner, South Carolina. And she, too, was a civil rights activist. When she was a kid, she said, we had to walk to school while other kids rode the buses, which we paid for with our tax dollars, and they threw stuff at us. Oh, God. Over 300 people were jailed at that sit-in, and the leaders, including James Clyburn, were separated from the rest of the people who were arrested. And so when everyone else got let out of jail, the leaders were kept there. And so the students who had been released went to the cafeteria to get food, and they came back to the jail to wait for the leaders to be left out. And so when they were, James was walking out of the jail and he was approached by Emily, who was holding a hamburger. And James says, So I reached for the hamburger and she pulled it back, broke it in half. She had half the hamburger, gave me the other half. And then he Aww. says, I was so grateful that for that half a hamburger, I married her 18 months later. Aww. So their first daughter, Mignon Clyburn, was born in 1962, and they went on to have two more daughters, Jennifer and Angela. They moved to Charleston, where James worked as a history teacher, and Emily worked as a school librarian, and they continue their work as leaders in South Carolina's civil civil rights movement. James thought of their meeting as an act of faith. acts of fate. He thought it was like just this random meeting. But then on their 10th wedding anniversary, Emily actually told him differently. So they were having this party with some of their friends who had also been arrested on that day in 1960. And James says to his friends, he says, guys, we were very fortunate. We made such good, great choices for spouses. And he said, I'm waxing eloquently. You know, there was a little Jack Daniels contributing to that. And then Mm -hmm. Emily stood in the doorway and she said, that's what you think. And then he said she told him the rest of the story. So apparently, before they had even had that chance meeting, one day she was looking out of her dorm window with her roommate, and she saw him walking across campus, and he wasn't alone. He was walking with his girlfriend at the time, and Emily said to her roommate, they don't make a good couple. He's going to be my husband, and then she (laughs) laid out her plan to meet him, and James said for the first of countless times over the years to come, Emily proved to be right. So, weeks later, they both just happened, in quotes, to be to get arrested at the same sit in. But Emily oh, knew wow. he was going to be there. So, she had had his, her eye on him. Oh, um,
0: that is so funny. I
1: know. It's, really, it's very sweet. So, he, the couple actually spent their wedding night at Harlem's historic Hotel Teresa, which was known for housing Black celebrities like Lena Horne, Duke Ellington, Dorothy Dandridge, and Sugar Ray Robinson. And in his book, James Clyburn wrote, someday, I thought to myself, they may well remember that Jim and Emily Clyburn spent their wedding night there as well. So he became, in 19, by 1971, <laughs> he was the highest ranking Black advisor to a South Carolina governor. And one night after he gave this big speech in Charleston, he got into the car with Emily for this two-hour drive home to Columbia. And he finally, she was very quiet and he asked what she thought of the speech. He was like, I thought it was great. You know, (laughs) so he's like, what did you think? And she said, I just wonder when you're going to stop talking about the problems of South Carolina and start doing something.
0: Oh, wow. I
1: know. And so with her urging, James Clyburn finally decided to run for the South Carolina House of Representatives in 1970. He was called actually on the night of the election. He was called the winner by 500 votes. But then at 3.30 in the morning, he was told that they had actually gotten it wrong. He was not the winner, but he had actually lost by 500 votes. So he told his granddaughter on StoryCorps in 2007, he said, In 1978, I ran for Secretary of State and lost. Eight years later, in 1986, I ran for Secretary of State again and lost. And more than one person said to me, Well, that's your third strike. What are you going to do next? And I always said, Three strikes may be an out in baseball, but life is not baseball. And so in 1992, I ran for the United States Congress, and this time I won. I don't know. There was just something that just kept telling me you have to stick this out. And, you know, we have a state seal in South Carolina, and the Latin phrase on the seal says, the translation is, while I breathe, I hope. And I have always felt that there's hope, and so I've never given up. So while while James was working in the public eye. Emily was pursuing her own career. She got her undergraduate degree at South Carolina State University and then her master's in librarianship in 1977. And during her career, she established the library program um, at two middle schools in Columbia, South Carolina. She was also the head medical librarian at the Charleston Naval Academy and the Veterans Administration Hospital in Columbia. And and they both they relocate, relocated several times from Columbia to Charleston for her job. So it just like kind of goes to show that even in even in a day when women's career always took a back
0: seat, her career never took a backseat. She uh, retired It really just makes you well it makes me be like, What am I doing with my life? <laughs> Oh my god! Like how much she's aco- she accomplished. It's I know, insane. <laughs> I know. Both of them I can't right? even take my robe off. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pandemic. It's a pandemic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so she retired in
1: 1994. Shortly after James was elected to Congress, and everyone who worked with her or knew her knew her as Ms. Emily or Dr. M, she raised tens of thousands of dollars to help prospective students afford College. And together, Emily and James were passionate about raising funds for their alma mater, South Carolina State University. And in 2019, they dedicated the 1.7 million in funds they had raised and contributed over the past several decades to establish the Dr. Emily England Clyburn Honors College Scholarship Endowment. So they have this huge endowment there, and Representative Clyburn has not lost his congressional seat since that 1992 win. And during his almost 30 years as a representative, Emily was known as the driving force behind him. He said, my wife is very much my sounding board. Over the years, he would constantly call Emily for advice on some of the hardest problems in Washington, and he always referred to her as his most severe out outside-the-beltway critic. And after 60 years together, after a long battle with diabetes, in September of 2019, Emily passed away at 80 years old. And people from all over South Carolina and members of Congress came to Columbia to mourn her passing. And while she was sick, James started canceling, you know, he would like cancel his trips, he would he would miss votes to be with her. And she told him, I don't want you missing any votes on account of me. And so the day of her funeral, the House of Representatives canceled all of the votes for the day so that members could attend and so that James Clyburn wouldn't miss votes on account of Emily. So President Biden actually was very good friends with them. And he said at the time about Emily, he said, Throughout our years of friendship with the Clyburn family, she was always a force, pushing not only her husband, but all of us who knew her well to live up to our better angels. She was a remarkable woman, an activist and community leader, a true partner throughout Jim's career in public office. And Nancy Pelosi said, for us in the House, she was not only a gentle lady, she was a strategic thinker. She said that a common thing among lawmakers during tense debates would be, well, what does Miss Emily think? And Jamie Harrison, who is now the head of the Democratic National committee said of Emily, Emily and James, said he's this powerful figure in politics, not just in South Carolina, but in the nation. But Emily Clyburn didn't care. He was still Clyburn. She was going to tell Clyburn exactly what she thought and how he messed up this time and what he needed to do next time to make it better. But even when she was tough, he said that was just part of the love. It was all out of love. So Emily's legacy is instilled in her children, who she raised to be involved in community service. And they've all followed in their parents' footsteps in one way or another. Their oldest daughter, Mignon, served as a commissioner for the FCC under Obama. The youngest, Angela, is the political director for the South Carolina Democratic Party. Their daughter, Jennifer, is director of the Center for the Education and Equity of African American Students at the University of South Carolina. And she taught public school for 25 years. And Jennifer remembers having to bring home her voter registration card before she could go out to a party after she turned 18. And she said that her, their mother, she said, instilled in us the importance of voting, of making a decision, and that once you make that decision, to stick with it. But she also told us if there's something you don't like, do something about it. And Mignon said she learned from her mother, in particular, the adage of not letting the perfect become the enemy of the good. She said that about her parents, that they grew up in a very imperfect place, in a very imperfect time. And the family is super close. With They mostly live on the same street in Columbia, in Columbia South Carolina. And until COVID, the whole family would go. Every time there was a vote, they would go together to vote, and then they would all go to breakfast. So, James Clyburn, as you probably know, is one of the top ranking Democrats in Congress. And Obama said that James Clyburn was a person who, when he talked, The entire Congress listened. And so his endorsement has been incredibly important during presidential races. He knew that he personally would be voting for Biden in the primary, but he wasn't sure if he should make a public endorsement. He told NPR, he said, I did wrestle with whether or not I should be public or whether or not to publicly endorse simply because I did not feel I should impose that on my constituents. But he said that right before the South Carolina primary, he went to a funeral service for his accountant, who was a good friend. And he said, and when I got to the service, I was there a bit early and I walked around the church speaking to people and a rather elderly African-American woman was sitting on the front bench of the church. She called me over to her, just sort of beckoned me. She didn't say a word. And when I went over to her, she said to me, people in this community want to hear from you, but if you don't think you want anybody to hear you... J- Please just lean down and whisper in my ear and tell me who you're voting for. Uh And he said, when she said that to me, I don't know, it brought tears to me. And I decided I'm going to go public as soon as the debate is over. And although Emily Clyburn had died in September of 2019, she had made her preference for her Democratic candidate known in June. She was for Biden. James had come home from his this world-famous fish fry, which was like a big political fundraiser he hosted every year since 1992. It was a huge thing. Democrats would come from all over the country to go to this fundraiser. And so 23 Democrats who were seeking the presidency at that time all appeared on stage at the Clyburn's event that night. And Emily said afterwards, she said, well, I know it's a big crap and I know we've got good friends running, but our best hope for defeating Trump is Joe Biden. So Representative Clyburn told NPR that Emily had loved Joe Biden, and it's all because she could relate to his background. She said she could relate to his experiences. And the Bidens and the Clyburns have been friends for a long time. So when Clyburn did give his endorsement, he spoke of his late wife, Emily. He talked about how they had met as students at South Carolina State after both were arrested at the civil rights demonstration and about how they had a marriage that lasted 58 years He said, I remember her telling me about her experiences walking two and a half miles to school every morning, two and a half back every afternoon. She had lived on a big farm. She learned how to drive in a pickup truck, and she came to South Carolina State in that pickup truck with her luggage on the bed. She talked about how her father walked to town to town in the off season, 15 miles a day to cut pulp wood. We talked about what our parents sacrificed for us and what we owe our children and all other children who are similarly situated. He said that they often talked about American leaders. And then he said, there's nobody who Emily loved as a leader of this country more than she loved Joe Biden. And we talked about Joe all the time. And he said, which is kind of now a famous quote, he said, I know Joe, we know Joe, most importantly, Joe knows us. And of course, we all know what happened after that. Donna Owens wrote in the Washington Post in April of 2020, she said, when Democrats look back on their 2020 primary, Clyburn's endorsement of Biden will be viewed as a key inflection point, perhaps the moment that changed everything. So yes. Biden went on to win South Carolina. He won big on Super Tuesday. He secured the nomination. And at the inauguration this week, everyone, who, everyone knew who it was that turned the tides for now President Biden. Former President George Bush told Clyburn at that ceremony that he was the savior of the American people. And Bill and Hillary agreed Clyburn told The Atlantic that without Emily's influence, that endorsement might never have happened. He joked, I'm taking all the credit because my late wife is not here to take it. On June 24th, 2020, James Clyburn tweeted a picture of him and Emily on their wedding day and said, today would have marked my 59th wedding anniversary with my wife, Emily. Although she is no longer physically here with me, I know she is indeed with me every single day. And of course, mm. we'll post that picture because it's
0: adorable. Yeah. I want to see it. So that's my love story. Oh, I love that love story.
1: I know. What it, it does make me feel like, man,
0: people can do a lot with their lives. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> if They just stop watching Bravo. <laughs> I hope the friends, things uh, you can do. <laughs> we were talking to our, uh, our friend
1: Stephen and Carlene last night and and we, because we Ben and I just started watching Letter Kenny. Have you
0: watched that? No, I've heard it's really funny. I, I tried watching a little bit of it, and I wasn't into it. But maybe I should try again. Try it. Try again. I think. Well, okay. I, I can see how you might not like it. It's, I
1: think it's very funny. It really helps if you watch it with um, subtitles on because <laughs> it oh. is like so quick, and it was hard to to follow along. But anyway, we're asking my friend Steve if he watched it, and he was like, "I haven't watched any TV since like in like five years." Like really? he's not. I mean, he watches sports, but he's not watched like TV shows. And I was like, "What are you, are you just like being productive? What do you do with your time? What do you do at night? Do you just think?" What's what? Are, I was like, "So good." I was like, "What is happening?"
0: What? Well, I feel like we're, we're watching so much TV and movies right now during the quarantine that I almost like don't even feel like I like I want to watch movies or. No, TV I'm with more. you. I'm like, I know.
1: I'm just it's, don't want to. It's like we – What do I do? We smoke the whole whole pack of Netflix. Exactly. (laughs) We don't want any more Netflix.
0: I don't want it anymore. I know. I love it. Should we get into uh, something dumb and something we love? Yes. Do it. Okay. So for something I love, obviously, um, you know, this week was the inauguration – very, very exciting, very hopeful. I feel good about it. Yeah. Um, I guess, so I just want to, of course that, but now to talk about stupid stuff, (laughs) um, I, uh, something dumb, I guess dumb is that I'm like, you know, with the, quarantine uh, you know I've felt like in a rut as far as like I just said I don't really even want to watch movies I've been doing the same workout over like I just like walk and do yoga walk and do and like I don't (laughs) even enjoy like I walk the same path like every day and I'm over it but that's and that's dumb and I, I feel like I needed a new like shake up you know, try do some different stuff. So I've been trying to do like different workouts this week, like, you know, kickboxing video on YouTube or whatever. Yeah. But on Facebook, there was like a woman's group and somebody asked, to, asked for workout suggestions. And someone wrote, I know this sounds silly, but there's this guy, his name is Fitness Marshall and it's these dance videos. And he, she was like, I just have so much fun doing them that I've lost like 15 pounds in two months. I was like, oh my God, i ain't gonna do that. <laughs> so I did some Fitness Marshall dance videos this morning. I like locked the door to yeah. my bedroom. I was like, nobody come in don't look at me (laughs) and I oh my god I it was just like so joyful like he's so the the his name's Caleb Marshall I guess the guy that makes these videos and he's so funny and upbeat and the songs you know it's all pop music yeah um but and the dances are fun and but he just made me laugh so much but I also really enjoyed the dance like dancing and I can't remember the last time that I danced. Yeah. Because I mean, it's, it had to have been at least a year. And even after that, before that, it's like we're at the age where we're not really going out dancing with our friends. Nobody was. You don't go out dancing until like midnight, and I don't stay up that late. No. Remember <laughs> I mean, we were talking. I remember I was like, Yeah. Do you think
1: we could like have like a like a dance party at like eight? <laughs> or like oh yeah, seven. we did talk about, we that? Talked about that. Like
0: right before the shutdown.
1: We'll do that. I was going to have my fun club.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, here's your mission then. Close yourself in a room. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, bend to watch Max, lock the door, draw the shades, unless you want everybody to see you like doing the wet ass pussy dance. <laughs> 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 then open your blinds. <laughs> But, um, but I, I like, so the the videos are like each video is a song, I guess, but you can just, they roll into each other. So you okay. can just keep going as long as you want to. And before I knew it, I felt like, I, like I was just having a good time. I could, I could have kept going for forever and it was already like almost an hour by the time I looked at my phone and I just had the best time and I, I sweat so much and I just was like beaming, smiling because it was just so. Joyful. That's so fun. So, I'm gonna do that dude, for my Do it. Hang out today. Do it. I'm gonna do it. I also want to say I, I haven't done this, but I have two friends. Kristen, you guys have heard me talk about her on the podcast, and my friend Kate. they they're really into the Peloton app, and I've been meaning to try that. And I have you don't have to have a Peloton to do it. You can just buy it, get the app and pay monthly yeah. and I heard that Peloton workouts are really fun too but this dance thing I just I could see my I really I, I really like it I really like it <laughs> <laughs> all right I'm in so, I'm do in. it I challenge you come back okay. next week
1: I'll tell you <laughs> everybody do it and let's all see if we lose 15 pounds okay yeah okay so I um I apologize but I have to I'm going to bring it down just a little bit. No, a okay. lot bit. Um oh. okay. So my something dumb is you know this Jen, but at the beginning of the month my brother this is it's hard to explain because my family is, you know, it's like most families. <laughs> like we're not we don't yeah. it's not, nothing's like straightforward, but my brother Keith, who is not my biological brother, had an older brother Kevin who passed away on January 2nd of COVID complications and It's just, he was just a a wonderful beam of sunshine. He's just, was just an amazing person. He had an amazing life and he was just larger than life. He was just one of those people who was larger than life. And I just can't believe he's gone. And I'm just so sad. I'm so sad for my brother um, and for all of his friends and people who loved him, which was like everybody, everybody felt like his best friend. So um, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just, it's a, it's. It sucks. It sucks, <laughs> but yeah. But I just wanted to, like, you know, it's like you just want to mark mark that that happened. Yeah, um, absolutely.
0: And pay tribute.
1: Yeah, that uh, this person who was just a wonderful and and ray of light that that he's gone. Um, and and so that's that's dumb. But I also, I just, I do love. I, I can't I, like, I can't stop feeling happy about the inauguration, seeing Mm -hmm. our, our senators be sworn in and just the hope that I feel for that. And I know, you know, talking to my brother, Keith, like he feels the same way. It's just like, this is, it's like, feels like this is like a light and a hope. And so I'm, I'm just so excited about that. I was, I like couldn't sleep on Wednesday night because for once I wasn't like dreading. I was just like, Things feel good. And it's like, I know, I know there's so much work to be done, but it just does feel good that people who are in charge are doing the work.
0: Yeah. You know, that they are. There's hope. Biggest word, hope. Yeah.
1: So I feel that. I feel that. Also, I'm about to go open my blinds and dance to
0: some. Do do wet it. ass pussy. Oh, that was just one of the songs, and I think that they actually changed the lyrics to like I think it's like wet ass tushy. I think, but I did love how he was like, children, get out of the room. This one's just for mommy. I just I really love this instructor so much. He was so fun, but um, yeah. That's exciting. Wow. That's
1: awesome. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, all we did right, it. You guys, yeah. uh, I hope you guys had a great week. I hope you're having a great week. Hit us up. Email us at dumblovepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and what's that other thing? TikTok. TikTok. Uh, all Dumb Love Podcast. So thank you guys. We love you guys so much.
0: Thank you guys so much for everything. And make sure to get out there safely. With a mask on and do something dumb for love. Dum 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 dum